Hey friends, so I was so excited about so many things that I actually misspoke and the confirmation service is not next Sunday, but it's two Sundays from now on the 27th. I think I was excited about App State winning their first football game or their football game yesterday. Carolina winning their first football game yesterday is so exciting. Um, And I'm also excited about these new cameras that we have installed in the sanctuary. Uh, We've been working on this for a couple of months and finished up. So last week was the first Sunday that we have have had the two cameras and just... um, Kudos to our tech staff who have been learning how to use this new equipment. Yes, they're raising their hands up in the tech booth right now, taking a bow, as they should. And and we continue to want to improve what we're offering to you each and every week. And so this is the the latest addition that we are are truly excited about. Um, But the one thing I did get right, in case you weren't um, with us at the very beginning, is we are doing the drive-through blessing this afternoon from 2 to 4 over in the portico at the preschool entrance and would love for you and your family to to come drive through and let us offer a prayer and a blessing for you. So we are continuing this sermon series today on reimagining the church. And our dream, our hope all along is that this will be a way in which we can really look at the early church and learn, uh, see how, how they adapted and what they learned from what, uh, how they were doing church, how they were growing as a movement, and how we might apply some of those lessons to today, especially with what we're going through, with how life and church life has been so dramatically altered for all of us. And I know that there are many of us that are, we're just so tired and so longing to to gather in, in person when we worship that it causes our hearts to ache when we aren't able to be in this space and to lift our voices together. Um, but it's still not quite safe for us to do that yet and have complete confidence that we're not putting some of our most vulnerable uh, still at risk. But y'all, the time is coming soon. This is only for a season. And the time is coming soon when we will be able to gather again together. But if we can't gather in big groups, if we can't gather in our big worship spaces, is there a way in which we can gather in smaller groups and worship God together. So today we're focusing on creating, I mean, um, how we, how the early church created community as they gathered. What did that gathered community look like in the early church? What did it, it look like and, and what's different now? Like what have we retained through the years and what have we lost over the centuries of Christians worshiping together? So we're going to look at two scriptures this morning, and they both paint a picture of what the early Christian community looked like. And I remind you that many of these early Christians were, especially early on, they were Jews who were transitioning out of temple worship to another way of studying and worshiping God through Jesus Christ. So this is new. Um, Within a couple of years after Jesus' resurrection, the Christian movement, though, was growing way beyond Jerusalem, where the temple was located, the heart of Jewish worship. And even non-Jews were starting in numbers to join this movement, and they brought with them no previous experience of, of Jewish ritual or worship. 
So it began to take a life of its own. It was a new thing, a new movement. It was unique and it was distinctive. So I invite you to listen as I read from first from Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 25. Brothers and sisters, we have confidence that we can enter the Holy of Holies by means of Jesus's blood through a new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, which is his body. And we have a great high priest over God's house. Therefore, let's draw near with a genuine heart, with a certainty that our faith gives us, since our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed pure with pure water. Let's hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, because the one who made the promises is reliable. And let us consider each other carefully for the purpose of sparking love and good deeds. Don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near. And then a second passage from Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And we're actually going to use this several times because it paints such a beautiful picture of the early community. I think Jeff actually used it a little bit last week and we'll use it with some of our other themes coming up. But today it is especially helpful. Starting with 42, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. Right there in that one sentence, it says a lot. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day, every day, they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. And the Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. This is God's word for all of God's people, and we are thankful. So I want to invite you. To imagine with me what a gathered, uh, what, what that early church gathering might have looked like on a typical Sunday for um, the early Christians. So it's mid-afternoon on a Sunday and you make your way to Priscilla's house. You bring with you your contribution for the meal that night and it's going to be this delicious cheese that you found at the market two days ago. And you get there a little bit early, so you help Priscilla continue to to get ready for the guests that are coming for for worship, for gathering, for fellowship. And uh, she's got the perfect house, by the way, for hosting everybody because she's got this really big uh, dining room, this room where folks can gather and sit around the table. It can hold 12 to, to 14, 15 people easy. And she has the gift of hospitality as well. So as people are, are gathering, you help greet everyone and you kind of catch up with how, how the last couple of days have been since you last saw each other. Then, mostly it's, it's the same people every week. But today, Rufus has brought 
uh, a friend that he invited, and the family with three children has invited their neighbor, and this time the neighbor finally chose to come with them. So when everyone is, is gathered, Priscilla invites us all to come and get seated at the table. She makes sure everyone feels welcomed and comfortable. Some of us help Priscilla bring the food out as we share the meal together, taking time to just be with one another, to talk and to eat and to, to fellowship together. But the meal, of course, starts with a blessing of the bread and a remembering of Jesus. And then the rest of the meal just flows naturally. After everyone is done eating, Julia offers a reading from one of the Psalms that has been on her heart. And then Thomas, he tells us a story about King David and then offers us a teaching. He does it every week. When he is done, we sit in silence for a moment to just see how this has hit us. What reflections do we have about what we just heard and what it meant to us? And yet another lively conversation follows. While we're talking, Priscilla gets up and lights the lanterns, uh, the oil lanterns that she has scattered throughout the room because the sun is starting to set. Cyrus then offers to start us off in a time of prayer and he gets us started. We all pray together out loud. And when the spirit finally stops moving, the room gets quiet again. Rufus then begins to lead us in a song or two. And by this time, the sun has gone completely down and most of the children are asleep in someone's lap. After preparing some of the food that we brought in to make carry-out meals, we assigned who's going to take which food to which family or person in need that we know of, that we are caring for. There's always plenty to be shared, and we either take it the next day or on our way home that night. Few of us help Priscilla to clean up, but we all begin to make our way home for the evening, looking forward to the next time when we can gather again. So this scenario is based on a historical example that I read this past week. But I loved being able to just imagine how folks gathered and what that might have looked like and and how they shared life together. It looks a lot different from what we experienced when we were able to worship. But I want to take a moment and focus on some of the key characteristics of those early Christians because I think that they are really important for how they formed and grew and even thrived and may be important for us, especially today, to pay attention to. And if I were to summarize the picture of the scriptures and the story that I just shared I would connect it back to Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. Because I think what they did, what those gatherings did, were they built around exhibiting and living out faith, hope, and love with one another. So faith. Faith was um, um, particularly lived out, as the Hebrews passage tells us, when they gathered, they gathered in the name of Jesus. And it was so important because what Jesus had done, he had, he had conquered death in the crucifixion and the resurrection in a way that tore down the barriers that the Jewish practice had in place between God and the people, using the priests as their intermediary. That was no longer needed. 
Remember two weeks ago, we talked about the priesthood of all believers. The Christians no longer need that intermediary because we can worship Jesus whenever and wherever. We have a direct line to God through Jesus Christ, each and every one of us. So that worship experience is opened up and doesn't need to take place in the temple per se. Verse 22 in Hebrews teaches us that our faith in Jesus is what we practice when we gather. We practice living into our assurance that Christ loves us and forgives us. We practice our faith every time we gather and worship. The passage from Acts shows us that when we gather in community and when we share life together, we are in fact nurturing our faith. That this is vital to grow and nurture and care for this faith that we have in Jesus. And it also reminds us that it is incredibly important that we devote part of our time together in receiving teaching from the apostles, from scripture. That this teaching is needed to help the church keep straight about what it is and what we're about. A growing and practicing faith leads to a sense of awe as we notice what God is actually doing around us. And, And we begin to see God acting and moving in the world Through a growing faith that we are also able to to see and participate in the signs and the wonders that God's doing each and every day. Our faith helps us to see and believe. Okay, so that's faith. Hope. How is hope an important characteristic that's lived out? The Hebrews passage affirms the importance of the critical importance of our confidence in Jesus as distinct. Demonstrated by practicing tenacity and perseverance in God's promises being fulfilled. The early church was waiting, as are we, by the way, for Christ to come again. And until that happens, until Christ comes again in that final victory, we're living in an imperfect world where sin and suffering are daily occurrences. There were still challenges for the early church then, as there are relentless challenges for us today. And yet, there is a hope, because the faithful remain expectant until that time comes when tears will be no more, when suffering will be no more. And we hold on to that future hope with tenacity and perseverance And that hope is what motivated the early Christians to praise God, to recognize God's goodness for everyone. And it is that same hope that fills their daily prayers. It's that same hope that fills us today with the ability to look to the future and trust that God will uh, fulfill what God promises. Faith, hope, and love. Sometimes translated as charity, love. We know love was such an important characteristic of early Christians. That teaching is from Jesus on throughout the New Testament that we are to to, uh, be Jesus followers who live out that love. The Acts passage shows us that these early Christians loved one another by sharing what they had with each other. They shared their possessions, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks in more detail. But they also shared their food with one another, and they did it with joy. They were generous, and they did it as a celebration with joy. 
Verse 24 in Hebrews says that the early Christians would consider each other carefully for the purpose of sparking love and good deeds. Sparking love and good deeds and also to encourage one another. We know Paul wrote about in his letters all the time about how the early church should treat each other lovingly. Romans 12, 9 is one of many examples where he says, love one another with familial, brotherly affection. It was Philadelphia, that brotherly love, how we love those members of our family. And there are tons of other examples in Paul's writings about practicing agape love. Remember, the Greek has like 10 different words for love, and we just have one. Um, So it is nuanced a little bit. But that agape love is, is our faith working through love as we share with one another, as we develop fellowship and community with one another. And I think that's the picture that Acts paints for us so beautifully today. And for Paul, there was a connection between family and fellowship. This was particularly relevant because uh, the place in which they, they gathered were in people's homes. And that is the best atmosphere possible to nurture this familial care of one another. Verse 42 of Acts uses the Greek word koinonia, which is, means community. This participation in a sharing with one another, this faith, hope, and love was a way of sharing with one another on a deeper, more meaningful level. And this koinonia, y'all, it wasn't just for one hour a week. It was far more frequent. This, this passage today says every day, daily. But they gathered regularly. And by the way, did you catch on that We've been good at doing potluck suppers for centuries, centuries, as we bring and share food with one another. And in these communities, again, I think of Paul when, when we look at how they functioned. Each person makes that contribution. They share the giftedness, the, that body of Christ where every part of the body has something to contribute and is so important to the fullness, to the sharing to the koinonia of each of those gathered communities. You see, Paul taught and he thought of Christian families and groups of of Christians gathered and organized for a very specific purpose. He taught their purpose was to witness and to mission or do ministry to the world at large. When they gathered for teaching, it was to learn how the gospel had ramifications and significance and meaning for the whole of their life, for day-to-day practice, which led to witness and mission into the community and into the world. What they did when they gathered in those folks' house shaped and formed them to be a model, to be a witness to an example way beyond the walls of that family's house or home. And here's what I think was the purpose and the vision and the way that the early church practiced community so that communities would become examples of what life could and should look like beyond just those small group gatherings. So they would be learning how to function as a family of believers. They would care for one another like they would care for their families, which would then help individuals to be better fathers or mothers or siblings to their own blood kin families. 
They were demonstrating care and compassion and love towards one another in their small group, which would then lead to modeling this constructive sort of social attitudes about how to care for those in need, greatest need in the larger community. They were practicing with one another so they could could implement and do with others. By practicing sharing their money and their possessions with one another and their food, they would become good examples for how they might be agents to improve the economic circumstances of their community around them. By practicing and developing their musical abilities and worship with one another when they were gathered, they would then be able to make cultural contributions to the wider society and figuring out how to make decisions and work through conflicts and develop leadership skills as that gathered small community increase their ability to make helpful political contributions to the larger society. You see, you see what's happening here? What we learn and practice in these small group gatherings and perfect, we're then able to apply with a much broader context and implications and possibilities. Finally, I don't know if you caught this part of the scripture. There was an attendance problem even back in the early days of the church, just like we worry about today. That's age old, age old. The Hebrews preacher notes that attendance was not what it could be and that some have gotten out of the habit of gathering and meeting together. And it hits pretty close to home right now, honestly. There are even more disincentives for folks now not to worship together um, corporately than we've ever faced in my lifetime. And that was before COVID-19 hit, friends. That was before these forced on us circumstances. Uh, Tom Long, uh, a famous and excellent preacher, kind of makes this point. He's like, he says, not only are we, we facing the, the mentality that for some, uh, they believe the worship of God is better on their own, at the beach with their toes in the sand, or on the trail, the hiking trail, surrounded by God's beauty. But we also have folks that are just tired of worship. They were tired of it before COVID-19. Hit, and they struggle even more today with the live stream of options and not being able to gather in person with one another. And some people, maybe they complain about the sermon not being like what they remember from a previous preacher. Or maybe the sermon goes on too long, or maybe it meanders and gets a little confusing or unfocused. Or maybe the pace of the whole worship service is lagging and, and the energy is down um, and people lose interest. Or maybe some folks wonder, what's the point? Because they're dogged by this sense that nothing of real significance is happening during worship. Others are tempted to follow the offerings of Netflix or television, which provide more interesting drama or stories. Or the swimming pool or the local hangout joint, quite frankly, can have friendlier people. Or the hiking trails have a nicer view. Or sleeping in provides more Sabbath rest for our bodies. And no one at the beach or the neighborhood cookout is going to hand them a pledge card or ask them to pray or teach Sunday school or serve on a committee. But here's the deal. While some of us are hiking on the trail or sleeping in, 
those of us that are gathering at worship and maybe singing awkwardly along with the live stream and listening to what God's word is being offered to the community in that moment, connected by a mystery beyond any of our understanding, that they're connected not only to those who are worshiping in that moment, but we have a connection to the holy and to the eternal, to all of those that have gone before us. We talked last week about the power and the mystery of worship. And even when we talked about um, Jesus a few weeks ago and this exaltation of, of Jesus, we know that something mysterious and beautiful and powerful happens when we honor this holy other. Where two or more are gathered to worship, Jesus promises there is a connection to this holy and eternal that can only take place when our focus, when our attention, when our hearts are on the worship of God. And when we do that together, in Christian community, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. When we gather together and practice faith, hope, and love towards one another, so then we can live it out more and more every day of the week, and not just for one hour of the week. When we do this, this is a power that Christ knew. Christ knew would happen when Christians gathered and lived out these two greatest commandments, to love God with all of our heart and our power, our soul, our might, and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So in spite of having to alter how we gather and how we worship and how we study and how we care for one another, we're able to do all of those things in creative ways. And friends, This is just a season that we're in. This great disruption, it is not forever. And this is not the time to walk away from our Christian practices. This is not the time to throw up our hands and say, you know what, I'll catch on the backside when all of this is done. I'll see you then. This is not the time to give up to lose heart. Because when we can look at the early church and see, first of all, that what some of the basics that they implemented, that they used when they gathered together, we can find inspiration for how we can replicate that very same thing today in our current circumstances. So I invite you to become part of a small group. Some of you are, but, but not many. It's a pretty small percentage right now of our church that are actively engaged in community groups and small groups of some sort. Now might be the most important time in your life to connect with another group of Christians to share life together. It was how the Christian movement got started and it certainly was how it thrived. It was even how the Methodist movement gained steam. Folks would worship weekly in the, the Church of England, the Anglican Church. But John Wesley started this movement that gathered Methodists in these small groups in people's homes to study and worship together. And from that grew this beautiful movement in which the church was renewed and people were brought into a loving relationship with Jesus. 
So we're excited to share with you that we're starting some pilot groups. We've got about six that we want to get started in this thing that we're calling this neighborhood initiative. We've plotted our membership on a map. I wanted to print it out, but I couldn't. It, it wouldn't make sense because it's so amazing um, to see where all of our folks live and who's nearby. And, and we look to find where are the places where there's clusters that make sense for folks to, to maybe begin to get together. Um, what would it look like if folks began to, to gather in these small groups um, this vision of, of worshiping together instead of separately on our screens, on someone's back porch or deck or the front yard. Or maybe someone has a large enough basement room where a few families can gather safely. Um, our vision is to help folks connect into these small groups as a way of gathering with others until we can gather with our full church community. Y'all, this year we were supposed to be focusing on discipleship. And we, we got disrupted a little bit along the way, uh, but we realize this is a new opportunity that we have. And we really want to engage you in ways that help deepen your relationship with Jesus so that all of us can be transformed disciples. And so if you're listening to me today and you're feeling like something's missing in your own faith journey, that something's missing in, in the way you try and engage your faith with Jesus, and you're longing to connect with someone, anyone, um, because the ways that you had connected in the past aren't available to you, then I ask you to, to consider praying about being part of a small group, a community group, I invite you to do a couple of things. You can comment right now in the sections, um, the, the YouTube or, or Facebook Live, and um, one of us will connect back with you. Or you can email, text, or call me, Jeff, Vern, Patty, any of us. Let us know of your interest that, that maybe now it feels like the right time for you to commit and engage and be part of a, a smaller group gathering. You let us know, and we will begin to work on finding, informing, and creating groups in which you can become to join, to be a part of. These early church house churches, they were small groups of 8 to 15 people. And things can happen in these small groups that can never happen in a worshiping congregation of 200, 300 people. So I genuinely invite you to pray today, this week. And see if making this connection is something God is nudging you to do. And if we can't quite gather in the sanctuary to worship, what if? What if we could gather with just a few other families and to worship together? Again, in a backyard, a deck, wherever it might be that we can safely gather with one another. What if? We begin to connect with a few of our church family members until we can connect with the rest of our church family. Because where two or more are gathered, Jesus promised, the Lord is present too. Amen.